Gentlemen, start your engine. Booster, go. Retro, go. Vital, we're go fly. Guidance, guidance, go. Atomic batteries to power. Surgeon, go fly. Econ, we're go fly. GNC, we're go. Delmu, go. Control, go fly. Procedures, go. Inco, go. FAO, we are go. I'm completely operational and all my circuits are functioning perfectly. Network, go. Recovery. Go! Capcom. We're go fly. Time circuit's on. Flux capacitor. Fluxing. Engine running. Launch control. This is Houston. We are go for launch. Very bad feeling about this. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Live from the bunker, it's Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Hi, and welcome to Live from the Bunker. My name is Maya Aids, and I'm here with Padler O'Gillian. Did I get it anywhere close? Yeah, no, Padler O'Gillian, that's pretty good, yeah. Okay. Um, I interviewed you back at Worldcon here in Kansas City, and at the time, your book was just about to come out, The Call, and then you left a, a copy of it with us so graciously, and I got to read it. Loved the book. Really love the book, and that's why I wanted to get you get to interview you again because I want people to get out and read this book. They need to read the book, particularly. And this is really selfish of me, but so that I can talk to them about the book. <laughs> I hate when you like read something or you see a movie and then you want to share it with other people and you want to talk about it, and nobody else has. And you know what? Do you know that feeling? Yeah, no, I know it very well. Yes, very well. Most of my favorite books, no one seems to read them uh, or have read them or know about them or have heard of them. And it is very frustrating. It definitely is. You must feel like that as you're writing the book, particularly when it's done, but you can't share any of it. Yeah, sort of. But, you know, a lot of writers, I, I don't want to speak for all writers, but a lot of people that I know have a problem where, by the time you've edited and re-edited and done, you know, 20, 30 drafts of your book, <laughs> you actually hate it. You know, you've reached the point where you don't even want to look at it again. Yes. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to discuss it. And every time you do discuss it, it's usually with an editor or a copy editor who wants you to correct more things. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's fine now because, you know, it's, it's, it's been a while. You know, when, when a book comes out, it's normally... You know, I normally haven't seen it for about a year at that stage. Yeah. You know, you hand it in and then that's the last you see of it for a year. So now I'm fine to talk about it again. But certainly when you're editing. No. Yeah. You know, you just want to break and want to move on to the next exciting new project. <laughs> you know, that's what you want. The, ra- the way that I can relate to that is as a filmmaker, when you're in the editing process of a film, you watch the same footage over and over and over again and it's the same sort of thing you're making tweaks on it and you've heard the dialogue and you've seen the footage so many times that by the time it's done you're like yeah it's done it's fine get it yeah (laughs) yes absolutely that's exactly it yeah so i unfortunately haven't read your earlier books this is you had a series before this the bone trilogy is something like yeah yeah, the Bone Worlds trilogy. Bone World trilogy. This is not a part of that trilogy, though. This is a new, and you might have one after this. You're talking about maybe doing a sequel, but not making it a yeah. long series. Yeah, 
yeah, no, that that's exactly it. I'm I'm working on that sequel now. Um, I'm I've already handed in a draft to my editors, and now I'm on a third or a fourth <laughs> draft, and you know, trying to fix problems. So I'm not at the stage of hating it yet. I'm really not. I'm I've still a way to go. But certainly, uh, three or four months from now, if we if we speak again, I, I won't even want to mention it. You know? <laughs> I totally understand. Well, I'm, luckily, I'm not there yet. Okay. What got you started into write? How did you become a writer? What what made you decide this is what I want to do? Um, well, I can actually remember the very first story I wrote when I was five years old. Oh my goodness! Um, and and it was basically. A stick figure. I drew a stick figure of a man running, you know, a bit like the XKCD cartoons, that sort of thing. <laughs> and underneath the picture of this running man, I wrote, "This is a man. He is a bad man, and now he is dead." And and that was it. That was the entirety of the story. Um, nothing has changed. I was going to say that's <laughs> very much sort much of the better. same thing that you're still writing. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Running and dying, basically. <laughs> We're still there. Yeah. Okay, so from five-year-old to then becoming a professional writer, there did mm. you was this what you studied in at school? Is that you know? Did you know all along? I'm always fascinated with people who know from an early age what they want to do, and that's what they study and that's what they pursue. And was that you, or did you have a lot of divergent paths along the way? I had divergent paths, but I always knew I wanted to be a writer. I always knew. Um, and in fact, one of the things I was thinking when I when I went to college um, was that I would eventually become a lecturer mm -hmm. in university with the idea that, you know, I'd have lots of free time in the summer to actually write books. <laughs> so that never happened. I never did become a lecturer. I ended up in computers and so on with not very much time to write books, but that that was actually part of my thinking for a long time. Um, I always did want to write stories. I've always been trying. I knew that it was very, very hard to make a living, um, that I would have to have a day job. Mm. Um, so that's, that's kind of what happened with me. Well, I'm glad you've had enough time on the side to write your books because uh, your audience is definitely enjoying them. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Thank you. I gotta say, and again, I haven't read your previous books, but you seem like a pretty happy person, pretty well adjusted. And yeah. I'm not quite yeah. sure where this story comes from, from a person that is seemingly happy. <laughs> it's, it's all about balance, you know? I mean, um, you know, in, in another life, I'd be I'd be one of these people, you know, who, who does horrible, horrible, horrible things. And people say, you know, I never thought he was like that. He seems so normal and friendly and kind, you know, but, but I have I have other ways of um, I have other ways of getting things out of my system. Um, I am happy, actually. I am quite happy, but I think I'm, I'm partially happy because, you know, when um, when bad things have happened in my life or whatever, I've been able to I've been able to write books and things. I'm, I'm not. I'm not capable of hurting a fly. I really <laughs> am. But um, but but maybe that is because I've always had stories. You know, um, maybe maybe that's why I'm I'm so content most of the time, um, because my imagination, which is really 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 horrible, I can I can get it out there. I can put it on the page and you know exercise it in in, in that particular way. It's funny. maybe it's funny because the call is. 
I describe it as a bleak story and, and kind of a sad story. I mean, the, the landscape, the world that it's set in is not terribly optimistic and it's kind of bleak. And yet at the end of the book, there's that light at the end of the tunnel where you, you see a possibility for some good to happen. And, uh, that, that gave me a lot of hope. And so it ends up, I like finished the book and I was like, yes. <laughs> And I thought that was interesting that, you know, for as, as, as sad a story as it is, that it can end up being a overall positive story. That's, that's an interesting balance that you had. And I think the other thing that I was really impressed with is the, your ability to take so many characters and find that balance of how much to let us know about these characters. Because it could have been really overwhelming with too much information about them. And some of them we only got to know a little bit about at the very end of their time. <laughs> so I, 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 I missed, missed the last part of that, Maya. I, I got as far as um, you, if you, the balance of the characters, you were saying. Yes, you had so many characters and you did a really good job of balancing how much to let us know about them and when to mm. you know when to inform us about the characters a lot of them start out as just a name and they're a name in the class Nessa's classmates and then as time goes on maybe we get to know a little bit more about them and maybe we don't get to know anything about them until they're called yeah yeah and that it's, was it's, an interesting you know balance what, if you, if you if you look at the reviews mm -hmm. um, a lot of people think I don't give enough information. Really? Um, and other people think I give too much. I think, I think <laughs> how much information you give about a character is, it's, it's one of those balanced things, isn't it? That for everyone, the, the, the perfect point is in a different place. Um, mm. I think, for example, people who, who read a lot of romance um, really need to know a lot about the characters. They like to know lots of, of tiny details about the characters' personalities because I think... Uh, the whole plot of a romance is how these two personalities are more mesh with each other. And so for people who primarily read, read romance, um, they would probably feel like I certainly don't give enough information for that. Um, whereas people who are, who are more into, you know, uh, science fiction, you know, especially very technical science fiction might feel I'm mm -hmm. giving too much because... For them, maybe maybe the plot is the most important thing, and they want lots of tiny details about the plot instead, if that makes sense. Yes, it so does. So every every reader is going to bring their own, you know, perfect set of you know perfect volume level um, to the characters and to the plot and to everything else. Well, and that's true with anything. You know, anytime a person picks up a book and reads it, they bring to it their background and their experiences, right? Of course, yeah, yeah. So, have all of your books been young adult? fiction they have they absolutely have um my my first the first book i ever wrote the inferior mm -hmm. um was i intended came out in just 2007 to, is that right pardon it came out in 2007 ah yes yes no that's correct 2007 i think it was 2008 in the united states okay um so it, it depends what what part of the world you live in <laughs> um but yes it it was just intended to be an adventure science fiction story um, I mean, there was no young adult when I was growing up, not really. Mm -hmm. But what we did have was, you know, great stories by people like Harry Harrison, you know, where the protagonist would be an adult, but 
but the story would be just this rollicking adventure. <laughs> um, and that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to write. Um, and it was my agent at the time who said, you know what, this is young adult and young adult is doing very well at the moment. And so we had to kind of write some of it down a bit, hmm. uh, what they call writing it down, as if, you know, young adults aren't sophisticated readers. They are. They are, but, yes. But they, but, but, but they still talk about writing things down to a young adult level or writing them up to an adult level. And what do you think you know, that the means? more young adult books I read, mean? the less I agree with that particular interpretation of things. What does that mean to write down or to write up? What well, are they I asking you to they do? Meant, um, you know, to to remove some of the sophistication and some of the subtlety from it. Hmm. Um, but you you'll find extremely sophisticated and extremely subtle young adult books out there. You know, especially these days. Right. I mean, these days, it seems to be that the only real distinction is the age of the protagonists. Yes, I would agree, and I I kind of don't like the category of young adult because I feel like too many adults then won't read it because they think that it is written for just for young adults and then it's not going to have any interest to them. And I think they're missing out on some really wonderful books. <laughs> I, th I think they are missing out because the one thing that does seem to distinguish young adult books is, is that they are, at least the adventure stories are pure adventure, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the romance stories are pure romance. Um, if that makes sense. I mean, they just go straight for the story. There's very little faffing about. And some people like faffing about. You know, they like elaboration, and, and that's fine. Um, but really, if what you like is a good old-fashioned story, they all seem to be in young adult these days. I agree. I, that's one of the reasons why it's probably my favorite genre. <laughs> <laughs> How does the call fit in as science fiction? I started thinking about the book, and I'm, I'm not sure if it's more fantasy or folklore, or exactly how you know how it fits in as science fiction. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't say it does fit in as science fiction. I, I would agree with you that it's that it's fantasy. I would uh, I would some people would consider it a horror. Um, <laughs> there's a yeah. lot of folklore and mythology in there, right? But at the same time, um, because science fiction was my own first love, um, I tend to bring a science fiction sensibility to everything I write. Um, sometimes you'll see real science fiction authors writing fantasy and, 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 and you will see like, that they always try and make it plausible in some way. They always try and, you know, imagine, well, this is just a parallel world, isn't it? Or, the laws of physics are just different here, whereas a pure fantasy writer would be just going, no, it's just magic. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't look no. behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't worry about the curtain. There isn't even a curtain to look behind. It's just just magic. Get over it. Move on. <laughs> whereas, you know, some of us, like, ha have, you know, find this, like, secretly dirty. You know what I mean? No, no, it's wrong. It's wrong. You, can't, you can't just have fantasy. That's That's, you know, that's terrible. That's terrible. There, there must be a reason. There must be something behind it. So I, I have a bit of that problem. I have to, you know, I have to have some kind of rational explanation hidden in there somewhere. So even though I don't surface that explanation in the book, um, in my own head, um, you know, there's always, there's always something else there, you know, a different dimension or something. And in fact, in the second book, it's, 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 
it's even more explicit that I can't just let go and call it magic. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I want to kind of divide this interview into two parts. Right now, we've before this point, we've been talking very generally about you as a writer, about the call as a book. And I want this, this is our spoilers point, where if you haven't read the book, turn it off, go read the book, and come back. Because from this point on, we're going to talk specifically about this book, and there will be spoilers from this point on. So audience, you've been warned. This is now the spoiler section. If you haven't read the book, don't listen to this quite yet. Okay, that being said, they've been warned. I tried really hard in my review of the book to not give anything away. And I, I read some other people's reviews and I felt like they gave, to me, they still gave away too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I went into the book without knowing anything. And that to me was part of the joy, was learning with Nessa. I, you know, I didn't know anything about the call. I didn't know anything about the folklore of Ireland. I, I was totally a newbie, if you will. Um, and I don't think we, I mean, we don't get a lot of explanations about the folklore itself. But, wow, what a world. <laughs> so poor Nessa, you know, she learns on her 10th birthday that her life from here on out is going to be a really scary, dangerous proposition. And it's not helped by the fact that she is crippled having um, been stricken by polio. Interesting that, to me, that she is, as far as I recall, the only person in her class that had any kind of handicap. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, do you think in their world that other parents <laughs> eliminated those children? They, you know... Well, well yeah, the, the, the children are, 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 are usually given the, the, the right to eliminate themselves, more or less. You think so? You know, there's, uh, there are doctors that will offer them pills if they want them. Mm. Um, and for a lot of people, I mean, for most rational people, it's 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 far better to accept the pills than, than what will actually happen to you. Because if they catch you, especially if they catch you early. Yeah. Um, Before they've had much training. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, it's really, uh, it's really not worth it. I don't know how <laughs> else to put it. You know what I mean? It's. It, I, I made it the most horrible, the most horrible thing I could think of. And I, I, I think you did an awesome job. <laughs> to be I, extreme. Yes, yes, it was extreme. Um, Nessa's determination to survive, and honestly, if it hadn't been for Connor's deal, she still probably wouldn't have survived. I don't think she could have held on that long. Mm. Um so she was helped out by a previous bargain that the, yeah. how do you pronounce them? Seed? Well, that's an interesting question that the modern, the modern Irish pronunciation is she, she, okay. She, and, and you know, you've heard the word banshee. Have you yes. Heard banshee? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Banshee just, uh, the word ban in Irish means fairy or oh. sorry, the word ban in Irish means woman and she means fairy. So banshee is a fairy woman. Okay. Um, so she, would be kind of the modern word. In my head, I don't use that uh, pronunciation. I use the pronunciation Shiva, which would be an older one. Okay. Simply because Nessa is a she, being a <laughs> being a woman, woman, if you like. 
And so you'd be constantly saying, she, you know, she did this and the she did this to her. And, you know, eventually it's she sells seashells on the seashore. You know, <laughs> it's getting very difficult. So in my own head, I don't use that pronunciation, but, but yes. Okay. You'd be perfectly correct. She. Okay. I didn't know how to pronounce it as I was reading it. So um, in my head, I just sort of made it whatever made sense to me and, and, and kept on going. Their world is um, very, I, and I, so they had, they're the gray land, but there's like pockets or windows or something. And I'm not sure what that was. Yeah. That's not really, a lot of things aren't really explained. And that's one of them. No. Are we going to get no. more explanation no. in the sequel? No, no. <laughs> um, it's, well, I'm I'm a big believer in mystery. Uh-huh. Well, that was one. I, yeah, no, I like things that aren't explained. I like things that are just weird and are just there because I think in real life, you know, we've got things like a platypus, you know. We've got, we've got lots of weird and strange things that, that are just there and we just accept them and that's life. The the windows are basically... So the she live in the grey land. Right. And they were and, banished to that land. They were banished to that land, and and their banishment is actually part of Irish mythology. I didn't make that up. No. Um, the Book of Conquests, which I mention in the call, is a real book. Mm. Um, and the very last line of that book is indeed that the king of the Puyadhanan, you know this this previous tribe, led his people under the mounds. So they're gone. They're in exile. And according to Irish mythology, there are lots of different explanations for where they went. You know, like that they went to the land of youth or they went to the Blessed Isles. And these are all very nice places. Not like the Greyland. Not like the Greyland. But if you look at world history, what tends to happen when a people get ethnically cleansed is they go to the bad lands. They don't get the nice, lovely land. That's the land that the conquerors take. They take the good stuff. They don't take the bad stuff. Right. Oh, yes. You go off to the land of eternal youth and enjoy yourselves. We'll just (laughs) stay here with this second rate, you know, ordinary land now that we've won. No, that's not what happens. What happens is you go somewhere absolutely terrible. And in that terrible place, the only thing that keeps you going is the thought, you know, of one day getting back what was yours. Right. That's that's literally that's literally it. And so I wanted to make the Grey Land as horrible as I possibly could. I wanted to make it as terrible an exile as I could. And part of that horror was that there would be these little windows into the world that they had lost so that the she could every now and again see what they had lost and be reminded of just how miserable and angry they should be. They should be. And and kind of metaphorically, I sort of thought of, you know, in a lot of these third world countries where their lives are miserable, maybe because we in the West are having great lives, you know, and, and maybe they're not, but they have TV and they see our life, you know, and they get to watch the Kardashians and all this kind of stuff, you know, and, and they get to see us in our comfortable homes and so on. Um, how angry would that make you feel? You so know, that's so, so, their grey land window. That's yeah, your, yeah. So this is what I was thinking. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. So the, the mythology, what was, what was the, symbolism or whatever of the she that was coming out of the rock and and she was like frozen was that was that a part of folklore no 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 
it's not well parts of folklore i mean i made up half of what's in there i've made up and half i i, I still um i basically smashed the windows on the folklore store and just went in and grabbed things at random and ran out again mm-hmm. uh, so what is in in mythology is that the 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 she um basically they kidnap children and they come out at night and they live in fairy well they they appear in fairy forts a lot so fairy forts are these kind of artificial hills across the landscape of Ireland they they do exist they really okay. are there and a lot of uh you know, farmers in previous generations were very, very afraid of them and kind of kept their distance from them and and wouldn't allow their cattle to eat the grass on them and so on because, you know, you weren't supposed to take anything that belongs to the to the fairies or, or they would get you. They right. would really, really get you. And and so um you know that this rock is on one of these fairy forts. Right. So I imagined that this, the girl in the rock, was someone who was trying to get into our world and got halfway before she got stuck. And then she just died there. Um, so that's that's all that happened to her. Okay, okay. I wasn't sure if it was referencing um, a folklore that I was not familiar with or something. No, I mean, uh, some things do and some things don't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and that's just the way it is, unfortunately. It seems like the only... Um, students that survive the Greyland are probably ones that have made some sort of a deal with the sea, with the fairy folk while they were there. For instance, um, the, the young, the young, the student who had the hole in her chest. Now she's yeah, made, uh, she's made a, a bargain to survive, but she has the hole in her chest and she was then supposed to help them massacre everybody at her own school. Yeah, yeah. So is um, Nessa's love interest, Anton? Anto. Anto. Is he, he seems to be the only one that I can think of that we know that survived and did not have some kind of a bargain. Yeah, no, lo- lo- lots, lots survive who don't have bargains. But you think so? Just, just in the context of the book, the only two calls we see that survive are Connor and Nessa. They're the only ones we see surviving. And we see Anto as well. Yes. So, well, and there was the, the young man from the other school. He came back from yeah, his call to right. find that's, everybody murdered at his own school. That, that's right. That's right. So none of them made bargains. Okay. It, was, it was literally only Melanie and Connor um, okay. that we know of. That we know of. Obviously, there are going to be others in other parts of Ireland. Yeah. But that we know of, they're the only two. Okay. A lot of people very legitimately survive. Well, that's it's good. That's good. Or that gives me a little bit more hope. Yeah. Is there anything that you would like to share with your audience about this book or the upcoming sequel? What, what I will share about the upcoming sequel is your previous question about people making bargains and surviving is going to be hugely, hugely important. Because as we know from the first book, is the, the state is now aware that these people exist. Right. The state is now aware. So as you can imagine, in the next book, 
you can expect some witch hunts. For people that made bargains. For people that survived under suspicious circumstances, ah. people you wouldn't have expected to survive, right. and yet somehow they survived. Uh-huh. I wonder, do we know any of those? I, I, I can think of at least one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it will be very important. Okay. And as you know, this particular state, it doesn't have resources to spare. No. For people like that. It doesn't have patience to kind of, you know, lock them up and feed them while they're locked up for the rest of their lives. So You just took away my light at the end of the tunnel. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we have to have a second book, you know. <laughs> it has to be based on drama. You know, it can't, it can't all be easy and nice. It has to be hard before it gets easy, you know. <laughs> okay, all right. So you gave me just a tiny little glimmer back. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to reading the sequel and maybe talking to you when that comes out. When is that? When will that be released? Um, current thinking is probably the end of next year. So okay. Christmas-ish uh, 2017. All right. So fingers crossed anyway. Do you have a website that you would like to tell us oh, about? Oh, yeah. You, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, my handle is at the call YA. Um, I also have a website, which is Pader, that's P-E-A-D-A-R, dot org. So Pedar, you know, Darth Pedar, Pedar.org, basically. And you're also on Facebook. I'm also on Facebook. Yes. Yes. So, you know, any of those, any of those. Okay. And are you doing any kind of a speaking tour or anything promoting the book? Well, funnily enough, I'm going to be in the United States um, on the 15th for about 10 days. 15th of uh, November. I'm going to be in Philadelphia at some point in Washington mm-hmm. and Atlanta, Georgia. So I will be, I will be not too far away, I would say. <laughs> but this month of November? This month of November, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Will I you? don't have the exact dates, but I will, you know, or what I'm doing exactly, but I'll know tomorrow and I'm going to put that up on my website. Okay. So everybody can go look there, and if you're in the area, go check it out and listen to you talk about the books and maybe about writing in general. And maybe get some signed books because I'm going to leave some behind me like a trailer breadcrumbs. There you go. <laughs> well, at least they can't be eaten by the birds. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time here on The Bunker with SciFiForMe.com. For all of us here at SciFiForMe.com, I want to thank you. Peddler Ogilene. Yes, yes, that's it. That's it. Yes. <laughs> you, have, you have triumphed. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2016 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Now, go out and play some basketball. <laughs>